And I thought the next week we'll just, once everything's taken care of in terms of Speaker of the House, let's start thinking, how are we going to clean up this mess? Because at this time, it was just strictly just the lies about the education. And obviously more would continue to come out, but it was just at that time lying about but the one that really bothered me the most was saying that the, you had grandparents that escaped the Holocaust. Yes. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interests in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate. And if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, and welcome to Political Contessa. This is Jennifer Nassor, and I am your Political Contessa. Today with me, I have a very special guest talking about the craziness of Congress. And it's not quite exactly what you think. It's not quite about the ouster of Kevin McCarthy and the fact that the Republicans can't figure out a new speaker yet. Nope, it's not that. It's about George Santos. Yes, that clown, George Santos. Unfortunately, I grew up in the same area where he's from and where where he's representing right now. Very unfortunate circumstance. However, with me today, I have Nasa Woomer. Nasa was his communications director for a very short period of time. So we're we're going to, God bless her, she she did a great job in the short amount of time that she had. However, the reason I have I know NASA, we we work together. She worked here in Massachusetts as communications director for the Mass Republican Party. And she worked in the governor's office and phenomenal governor Charlie Baker. So really, I mean, this is a woman who has had amazing experience. She worked in the House of Representatives many years ago and then thought that she was going down to D.C. to advance her career, leaving Massachusetts. I remember having a conversation last Christmas with Nasa about this opportunity that she has with this guy, young guy. He had so much promise, George Santos. And then, dun, dun, dun. Yes. So Nasa, Welcome to Political Contessa. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> this is the congressional version of inventing Anna. Yes, it is. Well, I was going to say it seems like even this past week has been nothing but, you know, the last episodes of Veep that we watched. But yes, it, it's definitely inventing Anna with a side of Catch Me If You Can, which <laughs> I finally watched the movie. And I thought, oh my God, it is him. <laughs> It's hysterical. This guy is like, I mean, he's like a caricature of himself, right? Like, how could, how could anyone, how could anyone live a life of lies like this, get elected to office, be in the public spotlight, still lie and, and get caught and still 
act as if he did nothing wrong. So I'm going to let you, because I think you are a phenomenal storyteller, hence communications director, right? You're, you're a very good storyteller. So I would love to hear. So I see you December of 2022. You tell me about this opportunity. You take off, you go down to DC to start off with the new Congress. You meet George Santos and take it away. Yeah. And anyone who hasn't heard anything of my story just yet, I actually took this job before the New York Times story had broken. So it was a complete and total shock. I actually remember where I was in Boston when the story broke. I was right near the state house, just finishing up my last couple of days left in the administration. And everyone is sending me the um, the New York Times story. and uh, And I knew that there was going to be a hit piece. And the only thing that I had asked the campaign manager turned chief of staff, I said, is there anything I need to know before anything bad that, you know, we may need to run like some sort of spinning or anything? He said, oh, the worst thing is that he was, well, not even bad, but he said was married to a woman. And okay, sure. No problem. That's very innocuous. And then neither one of us knew what was coming down the pike. And it was no records of attending Baruch College or NYU or worked for Goldman Sachs or Citigroup. And you mean the biography that I read (laughs) when I was interviewing for this job? Like the man I read about, this isn't him. (laughs) Ooh, fun. But no, in, in my head, I keep thinking, wow, I go from the Baker administration, Charlie Baker to George Santos. Oh my God. How do you right? do that? <laughs> Charlie Baker, who's as straight-laced as humanly possible, yes. right? Like the most upstanding, nice, honest person you could imagine. Okay. And now you've got George Santos. Yes. I've got George Santos. Polar you know, opposites. The most honest man, too. Not so honest. <laughs> uh, that's an understatement. Not so honest. An understatement. <laughs> But no, so my first, so I never actually met him in person. Everything was done by Zoom. And by the way, I never knew that's where you originally were. You were originally from Long Island. Oh, yeah. I'm originally from Long Island. I mean, I know all so, so a little backstory. So I, I did a podcast on George Santos, you know, when this all kind of broke, I did a, I did a podcast. And so I was texting with some folks in on Long Island because I grew up in Nassau County. I started my political career in Nassau County. So the Nassau County Republicans that the, those were like my godfathers. Right. And so these these guys were like, young lady, you need to wait your turn and you need to wait until you're older and you should finish law school and you should get married and you should have kids and then maybe we'll run you for office. Oh, no, I had to wait. But this joker gets to run for office and no one checked his background. Oh, the amount of crap I gave them was amazing. Oh, I'm sure you did. Well, <laughs> I'm sure you probably had a list, but <laughs> it, but I think they were I mean, they were duped as well. But I mean, let's they say were all I'm shocked. Like- yeah. They were all shocked, but you know what? Here, let's just go back to the Democrats. Where where was the opposition research? You know, I was communications director for the Mass GOP. I had stuff on the Republicans who we had in case if there was anything we may need to know to run interference with. But also, of course, I had anything I needed for whoever was, whether it was Elizabeth Warren or uh, Bill Keating. It's just, we had information on people. I think I had the most on Bill Galvin, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Bill Galvin. But, 
But the point is that that is such a crucial thing. So, I mean, I blame not just the the DCCC, but I also blame Robert Zimmerman, who was the man who ran against George as the Democrat. Why didn't they do the opposition research on him or even Tom Swazi back in 2020? Exactly. That That's what I was wondering. Where the hell was his opposition research? And, and Swazi, by the way, has been in office since I was living in New York over 20 years ago. I mean, it's not like he was a newbie to this, how he didn't have the information and pass it down to the Long Island, to the Nassau County Democrats is shocking. Well, but here's it. And this is where, again, the Democrats and even sometimes Republicans, something that they need to remember going forward is that never assume just because somebody is far to the right or far to the left, and it's a in this case, it's a D plus two district because of redistricting is more of Nassau County came into New York three. Never assume that just because that happened that a Republican can't flip the seat or vice versa. If it was an R plus two district or something, do not assume that a moderate Democrat can't come in and flip it. It was an ignorant mistake on their part as well, thinking, oh, he, this guy's crazy. He's never going to win. And then you have Lee Zeldin running for governor, who is incredibly popular on Long Island. So he carried someone like George. And I know that also helped people like Nick LaLota. And even though I think um, obviously they won on their own merit as well, but it's just having that good statewide candidate who sadly didn't win New York, but he did help pick up seats for some of these members, including George. I think going forward, and I I spoke about this on Johanna Masca's podcast, Press Advance, I think going forward, vetting candidates is going to change. I think we're really going to start digging into, you know, whether they are an incumbent or they are an actual, or they're new to the game and wanting to run for Congress, or even let's say someone trying to run for state rep in the state house in Boston. I think they're going to start checking and make sure that not just their college education or the jobs that they have career-wise, but even like the after-school jobs that they had in high school. I could see this happening now because he's kind of changed everything. Well, he's changed everything. But interestingly, and I don't know if you if you kept up on any Boston politics, but there was a Boston city councilor who just actually got knocked out of the preliminary, but she was elected for a cycle, Kendra Lara, and she lied about having a license. She was driving with a suspended license for about 12 years. She crashed into a house with her son in the in the back seat, not strapped in, not in a car seat, crashed into a house, concocted a whole lie. I mean, and then had the nerve to to go out and run for office. And thank God, I never thought I was going to say this, but the residents in the city of Boston and her district were smart enough to not vote her past the preliminary, which was amazing. But I mean, you you get these these characters, right? And I think it it, it definitely is a failure. And I have to say, as a as a strategist, Anytime I meet with a with a potential candidate, I always say the same thing. Have you done a self-background check? And it's not because I think that there's necessarily anything that anyone has to worry about, but I want people to always think to themselves, hmm, did I lie on my resume about that thing, right? Did I lie about a date? Did I lie about being on a board? And especially at this, it's amazing someone would lie in 2023 where we can Google anything, right? You can find out all the information. 
the volleyball scholarship. That's the one that really, I mean, that's a very, very, very specific, very specific. When you think of with boys playing sports, it's typical to hear football, basketball, soccer, baseball, hockey, volleyball. And where college doesn't even have volleyball, a boys volleyball team. So <laughs> But he's definitely put Baruch College on the map in a way that I don't think they want to be. No, 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 definitely not. (laughs) But no, getting back to it, I so I never met him in person until January 3rd, which was the first day all the members are to return to Congress. And we are supposed to have the vote for Speaker of the House. (laughs) And here we are now. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, it feels like you just ran in a circle. Literally. And I remember that first week and it's just, we're going through another round of votes. We're doing it again and again. And I mean, 15 rounds for a speaker of the house. Now I had worked in the house when John Boehner was speaker and the day he chose to resign, which shocked me, but also I remember the transition being very quick. Now, unfortunately, Kevin McCarthy could not get the support then but when when Boehner had tapped the shoulder of Paul Ryan, it was it was easy it was easier to bridge a gap between the far right conservatives and the House Freedom Caucus, and then of course more establishment moderate members who could get on board with Paul Ryan. So it was a very quick and easy transition to have him be sworn in as the next Speaker of the House, and that's what it was. It was just very quick and efficient. And that first week in January was. It was a long process, which was great for me because it kind of gave me time to breathe a little bit, even though I was just starting to break into the chaos of media inquiries about George and just trying to reacquaint myself with the Hilligan because it had been almost five years since I had walked the hall. So I needed to remember which tunnel to go through in the first day because I wanted to escort him to the Capitol building for votes. And the one thing I kept telling him was just stay quiet. Let's just focus on making sure we vote for Kevin McCarthy to be the next Speaker of the House. So I said, just talk to me. We'll ignore reporters. And the moment we walk out the door, a dozen of them just crowd up against him. They get pushed to the back. And one of them actually had a monopod and it got caught on the back of my dress and ripped part of it. Oh, no. Oh, this is going to be a fun. Uh, What a fun start. One of his, his attorney was with us and his attorney had to walk behind me just to, he wasn't bad, but he just said, I'm just going to walk behind you. So you don't feel embarrassed or for modesty's sake, but I couldn't get to him because reporters just chased him down the hall and he couldn't even figure out where to go or what to do. And I couldn't get to him. And I'm trying to yell, you're going to Rayburn, you're going the wrong way. Oh, wow. But actually we, you know, we got to him and, but we had to go outside and across the street and have the press follow us the whole way there because I couldn't get him in time to get him into an elevator and back into another tunnel to go through. It was just, it it was pure, but they never gave him a chance to really figure out where he's going. So it was just, they ganged up and it was. That's frustrating on the first day for you as, as the communications director, where you're supposed to be right, right next to your boss, your elected official, right? You're a member of Congress and, and, especially on a day like this, to be first day, everything going on, speaker vote. I mean, there was just so much attention that was being given. Okay, so this is the start. This is just this is just day one. 
this is just day one and that we let him go. He's in on the house floor. They're going into votes and everything. And I thought, all right, he's there. We're Let's go back to the office. There was no press there because they were all at, they were on the Capitol building at this point. So it's just going back and just finally like getting the administrative stuff done, such as getting my ID badge and getting emails and everything just set up. And it was just, and just thinking, all right, how are we, let's hear, how are we going to power through this first week? And the first thing I thought, I remember someone asking, should we start answering phones? And I just remember thinking, why should we? He's still a member elect at this point. Until once he's sworn in, I think that's a different story. But I remember someone started answering the phones and the calls were just brutal. Oh, I can't imagine. Brutal. And and I remember taking a few myself and it's just the stuff that comes out of people's mouth. I understand. Like what? What would people, I mean, I, and the, I'm, I'm asking you this <laughs> you first. You have to be PG here. <laughs> right. You have to be PG. I, and I'm asking because, I mean, I've, I've worked in legislature and I've worked in, in the governor's office and I haven't worked on the Hill, but I know what people could say. So, and that was for good people. What give, give a couple of examples because I think that our listener is, intrigued by this story again like i said it's like the real life version of inventing well i mean inventing anna was she's real but i mean it's the congressional we live in this world kind of not multi multi-millionaire so what what give us an example honestly though i will say just to be clear i've heard anyone who's ever called into a congressional office i've heard even just it's just as bad i've heard of all kinds of different Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying is you and I know. But I but I think for most for most people who work in an office, they've never picked up the phone and had someone swear at them, yell obscenities. And and that's just because they're frustrated. This is like he actually gave them a reason. Right. But most people in 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 the world do not have the same same understanding as people who have worked in, in for an elected official. <laughs> No, they, I mean, anything from just, obviously he, he needs to resign. He's a lying, you know what, you're an effing moron for, I mean, just horrible stuff, even towards the staff. I mean, it's just, you must be a horrible, you must have no soul if you need to work for someone like George Santos and just, I. and again, I'm just being very PG about it. Right, that. exactly. But you know, what's interesting is someone actually took the time to find his phone number, to call and to have that conversation. That wasn't just a keyboard warrior on X. That was someone who actually took the time to to voice their opinions in that way. And, and they weren't only even from his district. These were people who were calling from, from Boston, Philadelphia, way out in Timbuktu and North Dakota. I mean, people were just, and I always say that I feel like sometimes this is free therapy to them to start just airing out all their grievances on interns and staff assistants. And just sometimes I remember in the past, I've had not just with working for Santos, but in other offices I worked for giving interns and staff assistants breaks, because sometimes some of these calls could be very brutal for people. And I remembered one in particular, it was with, and I remember it was with, I think it was with Congressman Massey, where the guy actually, we, he was just so upset. And it's just, you know, like, Hey, take, take five minutes, whatever you need. It was just, Sometimes people could just be really, really horrible. And and this was just a call. I think it was when, because it had to do with the fact that Donald Trump was president 
And, and again, this was in 2017. So it's just, and that was at a time when he wasn't too bad, but it was enough to say like, oh God, get over it. He's president. Let's just please move on. But it's just sometimes people just, just say the worst things. And it's just, I understand that everyone's frustrated, but you have to realize we're people too. And right. we all have our own struggles. Right. And, and you're working. It's a job. It's a job. It is a job. hundred percent. But no, like some of these calls were just, it was a little too, it went way too far. And in the keyboard warriors would come out and find me on LinkedIn or Facebook and send me these horrific messages. And they were always from, and these were working, like we're talking white collar professionals. I mean, financial executives who would find me on LinkedIn and they were 55 plus who would disgrace you ruined your career. I'm embarrassed for you. I hope your family's proud. And just, oh my God, things that I actually received. And I actually, because one of them worked for, actually, one was an attorney here in Boston who had sent me the you're an effing disgrace. So, wow, I couldn't believe it. But one in particular, it just, it was just too much. But I, I ended up screenshotting it. And reaching out to their HR because you you, you shouldn't be bullying. No, good for you. <laughs> That's good. That's terrible. And he was a VP in a financial um, wow firm. Wow, that's unbelievable. Okay, so now you've got this. He he gets over there. You're back in the office. Now what? He gets sworn in. He becomes a member of Congress. Yes. So like, it, <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> it only took a whole week to get Kevin McCarthy to be right. the speaker of the house. And it was Saturday at 2 a.m. when I finally was able to put out the press release to say that we're in. <laughs> oh. And that's when everyone started to discover the who I, that I am the communications director for George Santos and things just start to happen. But that first week was just the focus on Kevin. And I thought the next week we'll just, once everything's taken care of in terms of Speaker of the House, let's start thinking, how are we going to clean up this mess? Because at this time, it was just strictly just the lies about the education. And obviously more would continue to come out, but it was just at that time lying about but the one that really bothered me the most was saying that the you had grandparents that escaped the Holocaust. Yes. His background, that that was terrible. And the mother dying on 9-11 and it, and it didn't add up. No, it didn't add up. And it, I don't understand how anyone could lie about a parent say, I, I understand that she is deceased and when it is very sad. And one of the things that I had asked him was, and it was, it was awkward to ask, but just kind of getting an idea of maybe this, he really did mess up the way he spoke about it. And again, this is in the beginning. I just said, where did she, where did she work? North or South Tower? And he said, the South Tower. Okay. What floors? Because at that point I knew she was, a, she worked for a cleaning service or something. And, and I think he, he gave me floors. I think he said the 30, again, I, I'm just, I'm trying to remember, but I think it was like the 34th or something. I forget. And then I said, okay. So she was there that day and she got out of the building. Yes. And then I think a few days later or something, I think MSNBC or CB, one of the media outlets had discovered that she wasn't even in the country that I'm aware of, because I had assumed the way I, my impression was, was this, did she die as a result of the, right. the after effects? Yeah. Right. Because John 
Stewart had highlighted this problem with the first responders who were not receiving proper coverage. And I thought, well, when she died around the same time that I'm aware of, she died around the same time as the first responders that, that John Stewart was highlighting. And so I just figured, okay, so maybe this was a result of, he misspoke and said she died as a result, but no, I went back and saw that he did in fact say she died on 9-11 or it's just, why? Grandparents and the Holocaust, especially right now, feels incredibly yucky. It is. I mean, it's who makes that stuff up? And that was all on his background, right? That was his, he made, I, I, listen again, it's like in 2023, how do you make up that you're on the volleyball team? How do you make up when you, you know, what college you attended? When we could Google all of this, your background takes a lot more thought, right? Because unless your family member is going to come out and refute it, or a friend, someone who's known your family for a long time, who's refuting this. So he goes out and he he does this. Okay, that's like an extra step of sleaziness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now he gets called out. He gets called out. And, and members of the New York delegation are absolutely furious over this. And we're not just talking about the Nassau GOP, who I, I remember the press conference that they had asking for him to to resign. But we're talking about members such as Anthony Desposito, Nick Melota, Mike Lawler, Nicole Maliotakis. I mean, they're all coming out against him and calling for his resignation. And I believe the other day, or was it yesterday, when both Lolota and Desposito, they're already saying we're, we're reintroducing the expulsion of George Santos. He needs to go. They're back on the campaign again. And as much as they want him to go, and I'm sure there's a lot of Republicans, including all, every Democrat, that would. But at this time, we are without a speaker. We have a slim majority in the House. And unfortunately, it's just until we have a new speaker, he's <laughs> he's there. So, and according to him, he put out a tweet last night saying at 9.40 p.m., he never received a phone call from uh, Steve Scalise. And it's just right. Stop being a petulant child. Exactly, it's childish. I mean, it's 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 very childish. Yeah, it, at at this point, he should honestly keep his head buried in the sand. Not put. I wanted any, him to do. <laughs> yeah, put your head in the sand and just hang out there until the end of your term. If you're not going to um, be kicked out on your lying behind, but uh, why why he would want to be involved in any other fights is really beyond me other than that's who he is that's just the the persona unfortunately it is and that's earlier yesterday he put out a press release basically saying please don't expel me just yet and then turns around and puts out this tweet on his private account saying i i'm mad because leader scalise has not called me you're not helping your cause here if you're hoping to remain in the House of Representatives. And if Steve Scalise becomes a Speaker of the House and he sees this and says, well, you know what, maybe I could go with one less Republican and that might win me some favors. Right, exactly. It's just you're not helping your cause here. And and also there's still an, there is a House ethics investigation that is currently ongoing at this point. So who knows? 
he could expedite it and say, wrap it up. Where are we at? Anything could happen. So, oh yeah, in his uh, in, in the middle of GOP conference on Tuesday night, you know, you have Nancy Mace with her the the scarlet letter. Then you have Harriet Hagman walking in with a lasso. Which, by the way, I feel like she should have walked behind Nancy Mace with a bell yelling shame. <laughs> 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 Sanchez gets 10 new charges. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. It's so, so embarrassing. I mean, we've got AOC and Tlaib and the whole squad and the Palestinian flag hanging and uh, I mean, it's just it is so embarrassing. It is so completely embarrassing on on so many different fronts. I just I, I what do you think is so we all know he's, I think, the biggest Republican embarrassment. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that he's the biggest. And I can't say he's the biggest liar either. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, let's see. Um, <laughs> he's the biggest. Well, you know, he's he's with all the others that are an embarrassment and liar and self-interested. What do you think happens? Those eight that took out McCarthy with the self-interest. I, I just it really is upsetting to me. What do you think happens to George Santos? Where do you think his story goes does is there a documentary that's made on him and and he ends up reaping the benefits of it does he get reelected at by some crazy crazy stroke of good luck for him i would be shocked if he i mean you know what never say never right but i would still be shocked if he did because you have the nassau gop who's literally asking once his head on a pike and then you and Tom Swasey just announced the other day that he's running for his old seat. So congratulations. It's going back to Tom Swasey for the most part. But one of the things that people need to uh, realize is that Anthony Desposito and Nick Melota have introduced a bill. Basically, I think they use the his last name as the acronym for the bill. But it's basically saying preventing former members of Congress from making big money or whatever off of lucrative book deals and speaking engagements if they've been convicted of a felony or more. And so if that goes through, if he's hoping to be like Harry and Meghan and receive, get a, a podcast That's deal what I'm thinking, right. And Netflix comes knocking. Right. I, I don't know. And I and I will say I've received many requests from people who, who are professional document documentarians and they were interested in a documentary of George or just or trying to create one even after I resigned. And I, I just was not sure if I ever wanted to be on board with something because one, I know George will not participate unless they offer him a big check for millions upon millions of dollars, which he cannot take because you're a member of Congress. If you want it, you have to resign. And even then, it's such a short term thing that I don't I don't see a long term success with it. And, you know, I mean, yes, it worked for Harry and Meghan because all they had to do was talk about the dirt of the British royal family, which has backfired on them so much that Spotify dropped their podcast and everything. And and what could George talk about on a podcast other than how I got into Congress, lied my way through and then got caught? Yeah. Now I'm. How he, how he pulled off the biggest ruse, right? I mean, how how you can, in an age of the internet, how you can pull off the biggest scam in 
21st century and get elected to office. And, and importantly, because this, of course, always touches my conservative heart, get paid taxpayer dollars for your job, have taxpayer funded health care, right? And, and be out there and be at the top of the news cycle whenever you open your mouth, because the press is just so dumbfounded that this guy is even in Congress. Yes. It, right. It so, I mean, that to me is like, why why wouldn't he say, OK, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to run again or I'm going to run and get hammered. It doesn't matter. I don't care because I'm going to go off and make millions of dollars doing this. Because, again, it's like you look at Anna Delvey. She went to jail and she's making money. She's telling her story. And so I just find it really fascinating because. I think you and I and so many other people that we have had the pleasure of working with are honest, upstanding people. We could never imagine deceiving anyone on on any level, let alone on this grandiose level. The disgusting behavior of lying about how your parent died, the disgusting behavior about lying about the Holocaust and, and your family's involvement in it, it's beyond the pale. But it makes me think that he has no moral compass. And so why wouldn't he go and try to capitalize us on capitalize on this in some way? Because his career is essentially over. And how old is he? He's in his 30s, right? I mean, yes, it, it's over. But I mean, the difference between him and Anna Delvey, Anna Delvey did not lie about her parents dying in the Holocaust or, or I mean, or grandparents escaping the Holocaust and so forth. Not saying she's by any means. <laughs> she's also point. morally corrupt. <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course. But the difference, people have this weird obsession with her that's like, she's not hated, but he is. Right. He's hated. He's despicable. I mean, he's, he's just everything that I would not he should have been tossed out. The fact he remained when he was able to stay there and he didn't leave on his own accord, I think speaks a lot. It speaks volumes to him. And I find it really upsetting for his constituents because, you know, at the end of the day, even though you're elected by a a margin of people, a percentage, you are the representative for the entire district. And in our government, where it's representative government, and we think that we're electing people that hold our best interests and are going to go and represent us because we don't have a voice. And now they really don't have a voice because he's a joke. And I think it's really upsetting. Again, like I said, it's taxpayer funded job, taxpayer funded health care. It, it, it removed this seriousness of Congress by his being there. It really, I think, took a took another hit on Congress, took another hit by his just pure persona and him being there. And and for his constituents, how they don't actually have a representative in Congress, I think it's unfortunate. It is very unfortunate. And the other thing, too, that is even well, I shouldn't say this is even more unfortunate, but we'll just add it to the pile is that this was the first time they could really elect a Republican for that district. And now this is going to set it back even further for Republicans to actually be able to. And there's actually, I've seen, I've actually met one of the Republican candidates that is challenging him in a primary. His name is Kellen Curry. And he's basically everything that George would want to be. I mean, he actually has a financial background and can improve his education and everything. But 
He actually has a degree from the school that he says he went to. Yes, he does. And he actually has confirmed receipts of the places he's worked. But he's also, but he's a good common sense conservative who actually is interested in public service. And and it's kind of hard right now to try and get a headline or two in that district because everything is George Santos. And unless, because every time you turn around, it's some new allegation or he's the gift that keeps on giving the latest that came out of while he was in GOP conference to find out that he, there have been 10 new charges added to the 13 for his indictment. And so it's just, now we're starting to see that the identity theft and the credit cards, and it's just, how could you not recognize that you're going to be caught someday? And it just, it, I, I mean, that actually really just hearing those new charges really shocked me even more. And I didn't even think it was possible to be shocked by him anymore, but somehow he succeeded. So you there, what, five, was it five months that you were with him? Yes. Okay. So that seems a, like an absolute eternity to work for someone like this. Do you think it's ego or you think it's stupidity? Ego. Ego. Because in the beginning, he actually was listening to me. He wanted to improve and change. Like he wanted to prove to his constituents that he was a serious member of Congress. And because one of the several things I wanted him to do, we needed to step forward. He needed to do an apology tour. I said, you really need to do an apology tour. No matter, it's going to be painful. It's going to suck. But get out there. Go to a soup kitchen. Go to, before we knew about the homeless vet and the, the dying dog, I would have said, gone to animal shelters. Right. But, you know, just everything that we can do. And let's just make sure that we are available for anything. You know, if there's a tax credit that we can help at the federal level, if we can help obtain that, you know, appropriations for community funding, things like that, like anything that we can do. I mean, unless we need to be incredibly transparent about everything. And that includes the votes you take and why you take them. And this was some of the stuff I really wanted to do and identify what exactly is really impacting New York 3. And one of the things that he actually was very passionate about was the state and local tax, because he said it's one of the highest. And so I did a little research and found out because I my nerdy tax background in the administration, I was able to tap into some of my resources and look into it because one of the first bills that he had introduced was it was a salt tax relief bill and it was for individual taxpayers. And this was I thought this was a great thing to start with because it actually will help his constituents. And so and then we went from that and then went straight into weird bills like the Nicki Minaj bill, which was about like in vaccines. And I just, this is not serious. This is how does this help your constituents find practical stuff. And, and also with the media on your side. And I regret saying this to him saying, this is your princess Diana moment, highlight real problems. You have the media following you and watching everything that you do. And one of the things that was brought to both his and my attention was the Merchant Marine Academy in Kings Point. We found out there was a report that came out and a reporter, a local reporter on Long Island had reached out to me asking for comment regarding the sec- number of sexual harassment and sexual assault cases at the Merchant Marine Academy. And I asked, I said, I need more information. And she sent me a link to the report 
And it was very concerning to me. And I gave it to, to George and he took it extremely seriously. We set up meetings with the Biden administration to discuss this and how we can help from a policy standpoint. And I and then, of course, set up meetings with um, the Merchant Marine Academy to talk about this. And so, of course, I drafted up a statement for the for the reporter's article. And I felt like this was finally something we're doing something that goes beyond his personal life. And and that was again, that was what my goal was to just focus on anything that wasn't his personal life and just make him into Congressman George Santos, not as Bowen Yang said, Anthony Devalder, if you're nasty. So <laughs> <laughs> But I think that that was great advice, but that's advice coming from a professional. And George Santos, to me, was anything but professional. Professional liar. Professional, right. A professional liar. And and why wouldn't you go on that apology tour? And why wouldn't you focus on the things that are important in the district, right? And And maybe salvage yourself and keep your mouth shut and and keep your head down and do your work and maybe people will forget right you apologize you then do your work i really wanted this job i don't know what kind of bs he could have come up with to say yes i lied about everything but you know i really wanted this job and i'm going to be the best representative i could possibly be Mm -hmm. i I drafted something collaborated with the chief of staff and just you know making sure that we i had a statement ready to go but also I wanted him to do almost immediately sometime in January, I wanted him to sit down with a big name journalist because everybody wanted an exclusive with him. Mm-hmm. You name it. Everybody wanted it. And so I was taking meetings separately off campus to meet one-on-one and just kind of get an idea. I mean, I had a vision of who I really wanted, which I wanted him to do a Sunday show. And you had your choices of Todd, Jake Tapper, Dana Bash, George Stephanopoulos, and Margaret Brennan. I mean, just to name a few. And and that was kind of my vision because it's going to have a high audience. You don't want just the people on Long Island. You actually want the country because you, the more soundbite you give the entire country, I feel like the less it'll, it'll die down a little bit or a lot. I mean, the goal was for it to die down. That's what I wanted. And I know that's what House Republican leadership wanted as well. But there was a nervousness with it. And I wanted to do the media prep and even form what a a small group of people that I know. One was a lobbyist, another from the corporate communications world. And one of my friends in that group had enlisted the help of a chief of staff from another office just so we could do what we call Operation Murder Board and just hammer out everything and get them just to start talking and providing answers, but in a 10 to 15 second increment and just kind of get used to talking about the most difficult things, whether it is lying about the death of your mother to everything that you could have possibly lied about. And let's just, let's fix this. That's what we want to do. We want to fix this. And, and I had set it up and then he decided to go run and do an interview with Matt Gates on Steve Bannon's podcast. And everyone just said, all right, that's it. He's not serious. So murder board canceled. And therefore I called him the big gun called. And that was Piers Morgan. And I said, you're going to do Piers Morgan. <laughs> right. Right. But that's it. 
if you do not want to sit down with Chuck Todd or right. or any of these people, then we're going to go British. Right. I mean, amazing that he even got Pierce Morgan because he he wasn't showing that he was serious. No, he wasn't. And so, well, Pierce Morgan's producer reached out to me. He found found out who I was. And I've actually I've always been a fan of Piers Morgan. I think he's there's he's no nonsense, and he's definitely somebody who's he does he's a, he's a Brit. He doesn't have any skin in the game in terms of American politics, so he's going to be tough and he's going to be fair. And I thought he was. He genuinely was during the interview. It was, and I even thought to myself, it doesn't matter who he sits down with, whether it's someone like Piers Morgan or a conservative pundit, they're all going to hammer you. Because even Tucker Carlson, who was still on air with Fox News, I don't think he would have been, he would have been just as tough, if not even tougher. Oh, I, yeah, he probably would have been ruthless have been with ruthless. Him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was good. And I was relieved he did it because what it did was it got rid of the press outside of our office. Mm. So I could walk to an elevator in peace without someone following me saying, hey, do you have a minute to talk about? And it's like, nope send me an email. (laughs) (laughs) God, what was your, when you went home at night, I just, oh my God, like, I wish, I wish everyone could see my face, right? And like the pain, you go home at night and your job is so tough and it's so many hours and you put your head on your pillow. What goes through your mind? (laughs) Like what happened? What was going through your mind this spring? Save it for tomorrow. It's not, and maybe because, you know, I'm a little bit older and that's the other thing that bothers me or not. Bo- well, yeah, it does bother me. It's interesting to see that there are 25 year old press secretaries and communications directors on the Hill. Like they're getting younger and they do not have the experience to take on these very um, serious roles. But the one thing I've learned with time is it can wait tomorrow. You have to learn to cut yourself off at some point. And so when I would go home, it's just the day is over. You have to give yourself some sort of peace for your own mental health. And so for me, that could be anything from just listening to music, watching a show that I like, and then usually just falling asleep afterwards. But but I remember I had a reporter that contacted me very, very late on a probably a Tuesday or Wednesday night just to ask me if George was a, a drag queen. And I had not learned any of this yet. And I just said, what? It's like, what else am I going to be asked? It's like, <laughs> I didn't come here to be the, to talk about Burberry scarves and someone being a drag queen. And it's just like, in my head, I'm thinking it probably was, I don't know. And I'm already dealing with a horrible respiratory infection, which the reporter had the audacity to say, oh, do you have COVID or something? And I thought, that's really gutsy. It's like none of your business. None of your business. And you're bothering me. Yeah. I want to be in, I'm going to go to bed. And I remember just saying, can this wait tomorrow? So, well, yeah, it can't. I said, great. Have a good night. Click. And I remembered two reporters that I ended up developing good uh, relationships with were from the same network and I got a hold of them and said, You none of that. And they even they saw the there were sort of text messages and stuff from the same report because you know this was somebody who was sending me stuff that's just like it was very unprofessional and 
I just said, this is not right. Does he talk to other people like this? Oh my God, that's terrible. So what was your, what was your breaking? Again, five months, like it's an eternity, but it's, it's quick. What was your final breaking point? The indictment. Because we had no idea that this, I never thought this was going to, I mean, obviously I knew about the ethics investigation, but then all of a sudden myself and the chief of staff came back and said, George is on his way back to New York. And I just said, he has votes at 6.30. And he said, he's going to be indicted tomorrow. I just said, what? This is real? I mean, it was just, everyone, we were just shocked. And we were just trying to keep it between just the senior staff and we were just like because we we have a staff of people who like to um talk but it's just we wanted to keep this very very private because we didn't even know that the press were you know even aware of this just yet he said i think it's worth our you know in best interest let's just work from home and until further notice and i said no i said absolutely because we're going to have a press pool in front of our office tomorrow and the next day and the next I just and I do not want staff talking to the press. And so we we told them to leave and so forth. And I go back to my desk just to get my stuff together. And then all of a sudden I get a text message from a producer I know at CNN saying, hey, can you confirm if Santos is being arrested or something? And I thought I remember saying to Chief, we, we need to leave. It's starting. And all of a sudden, my phone, both my work phone and my personal phones blew up. My inbox went from maybe just a few emails, and I had almost nearly 50 in my inbox confirming this. And I just said, out, we got to go now. And I said, but we can't go together. And so one by one, they're leaving, and I'm the last one to go because I'm literally just, my phone is just blowing up. I can't even imagine. So I grab my stuff and I walk out and there is a huge press pool. And I mean, it's like massive. And they just chase me to the elevator and they're screaming at me, literally screaming at me saying, where is he? Aren't you going to talk to, you're the communications director. Talk to us, Nasa. I mean, just, it, it was humiliating, beyond humiliating. And how obnoxious and rude and unprofessional of them. Yes. And one, and I will say that there was one one reporter in particular, and I recalled her, and I'll never forget it to this day, her kindness, because she, I remember her stepping back. She never chased me. She never yelled at me or anything. And she had told one of my, one of our mutual friends saying what they did to her was wrong. I'm just hitting the the elevator button. I thought this is the longest 15 seconds of my life, but they're just screaming at me and I get in the elevator and I'm out. And it was just, I thought, this is it. I can't. And it, and it was just, like I said, it was just wrong. And I remembered, I knew someone who worked in uh, Mitch McConnell's office and I told them what happened. And he, and this is someone in leadership. And he said, I never received that. It's he said, amazing. I work for Mitch. So right. <laughs> it, it, it was just so the, the immediate attention just around the staff was unheard of. And one thing that it, I was afraid this was going to happen, but I figured no one had paid attention to who Marjorie Taylor Greene had on staff and same with Lauren Boeber. Right. Or, or AOC. No one knows who AOC no staff knows. is. No. Heck, no one knows who is the only communication staffer that anyone knows is the White House press secretary or the White. Anyone from the White House is who everybody knows. 
not a freshman member's office. And it was, it was just, it was wrong. It was completely wrong. That's, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. It's really, I, I feel like their integrity, they, they, they did not do the right thing. And thankfully for the one reporter who was so kind. So, okay. You've now had a couple of months mm-hmm. to settle down and to, to get your story, think about everything that has happened to process it. Right. And everyone after a traumatic experience needs to process a little bit. What is, what, what's next for you? Do you think that, I mean, I think the world of you, you handled yourself in this situation with so much grace and professionalism, but are you going to hang around DC? Do you give it another try with someone else? Do you feel totally burned? Are you, what's your, I mean, because you have been an amazing public servant. So where do you, where do you see yourself going? I feel like we're in an interview, uh, (laughs) (laughs) right? So what would you like to do for the rest of your life? (laughs) Yeah, What would I like to do for the rest of my life? Yep. I had to take time for myself. I went into, there was a little bit of a hesitation, even just going back to the Hill to start just because even before everything even occurred with, with George, I, this is not the Capitol Hill that I remember. It's changed so much. And so I, if I go back to the Hill, I mean, if I went back, I would love to be in the Senate, which is where I've, I've always wanted to be in the Senate for the longest time when, when Pat Toomey was the Senator, but now we have John Fetterman, the man child who can't put a suit on. It'd be one thing if he was wearing a golf shirt or just a sweater vest or, or a zip up, (laughs) you know, yeah. If he was dressed like George, I mean, the man can't, could literally like he puts on sweatpants and flip-flops. I mean, it's embarrassing. Okay. It's funny. He's a trust funder. Like he, his family has money. It's so, it's just disrespectful. It's very disrespectful and it's very, it's very entitled. It's very disrespectful and it's very entitled, but I digress. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. But I mean, I think the Senate definitely has a different level for the most part of of professionalism and decorum, right? I mean, it's the expectation level is a little it's like it's like being in in the elementary school sandbox and being in in the Senate is like being in graduate school, right? I mean, it's years apart. <laughs> it is. It- and that's a good analogy because I always say you go from the kids' table to the grown-ups' table. Right. <laughs> but no, it is. I mean, the Senate has always been a goal of mine. But honestly, to, I would just love to really just try and break into getting into a PR firm. And just, I think with my crisis communication skills. Holy crap. Now today, are you kidding? <laughs> your your crisis communication skills, Mesa, are, are beyond anyone else's. I mean. <laughs> and here's a funny story. Not, not, it's an interesting thing. Never cried a single day. And I, maybe I need help for that. But uh... <laughs> that's why there's wine and girlfriends. And <laughs> there's a lot of it. Yes. And, and then, of course, there's kickboxing and everything else there's working out yes there's there's kickboxing boxing bags are (laughs) phenomenal to get out some of that frustration (laughs) i didn't i don't want to say i actually had a real vice or whatever it was just more calling friends just to air out the grievances but no it, it i would just would rather 
private sector, I feel like is where it needs to be. And I've kind of enjoyed you do it too. But I I love the doing political commentary now. It's, you know, I was incredibly grateful for the fact that I got to sit down with Ari Melber uh, about almost a month ago. And even though I know I had to talk about George, but still it was just the thrill of finally doing something for MSNBC. I feel like one thing that they, I would love to try and break into that world a little bit, especially for networks that do not really have much of, um, you, you don't really see a lot of Republican women on MSNBC or or CNN. I mean, other than maybe Alyssa Farah from time to time, but there's not, there's a small pool of us and I would just love to break into it. I think it's, I think I have the training for myself to do. It. No, I, you know what? I Listen, I, I think that you, you are incredibly well-spoken you're intelligent, you have a great background. And and really, with what you went through with this guy, it's really commendable. And and I think that you can probably honestly, the the world is your oyster and you should you should look around because I think that there are lots of opportunities for someone like yourself. Because it's hard to find people who have grace and grit and integrity and are also intelligent and thoughtful. And so I think that there's a lot out there for you. And in life, because I'm a bit older than you are in life, there's there's always a bump in the road. I, I like to say that the advice I like to give is sometimes you you run into a building and it's like, oh my God, where the hell am I, right? The building's burning or it's a haunted house or you might walk in and it's like Cinderella's castle. You never know. But you can always get out, right? You you go through the door, you have the experience, you come out on the other side, you come out stronger, you come out with more knowledge, you come out with different experience, and you move on to the next thing. And I think it's a great way of growth professionally and personally to have those experiences because, yeah, you could work for someone like Charlie Baker for 25 years and where is there a disruption and where is there anything that you're that's changing your world so much that that is so disruptive that you you haven't grown that much from. And so I think that this is an experience you'll take with you forever. It's a story that you'll be able to pass down to your grandkids and that will be in your family. And it's really cool when you when you Google you because I mean it's like I knew her when <laughs> like I knew eight when. months ago <laughs> when when you were talking about this. So I mean it's <laughs> it's really pretty cool. But I think at the end of the day, it it was a terrible, terrible time to have to be there and crappy to go back to Congress at your age and and have this dream job and have this nutcase that you had to work for. But at, again, like I said, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And I think that there's um, something really good on the other side for you. So I'm, I'm excited to see where this takes you. I think I need to call you every day for uh, the little pep. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. anytime. (laughs) No, I'm a big fan of yours. And I just, I think that this was really a a growing experience and that's kind of how you have to chalk it up. And, And listen, I mean, anyone, anyone who has a career, right? We all have professional learning experiences and we have personal learning experiences and it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. It doesn't matter where you are in your career or your life. 
but I think that those experiences just it it adds it adds to who you are and it it adds to your marketability. So so maybe maybe it's time to leave the halls of Congress though. <laughs> <laughs> and reach I mean, out to the private sector. <laughs> oh no, 100%. I mean, I would never say no to Congress again, but it's just because it's fun. Until there are certain people that start need that needs to uh, straighten out their act and we won't name the eight that just ousted the speaker of the house and has left us the house completely paralyzed. Completely paralyzed. At at, at such a Worst. crucial time in history where we are paralyzed and and it is i mean we thought and the the timing of the podcast is different than the timing in in history right in our timeline right now but i think when they ousted mccarthy it seems like wow we're paralyzed and the border is open and we have migrants coming in by the thousands every day and our cities are tapped and there's no place to put these people in our healthcare systems and our public safety and schools and Massachusetts alone, $250 million on on migrants. I mean, it's just, it, it felt like, how could Congress be doing this right now? But then you move a week past that and you see, not even, not even right? Uh, Hamas and Israel and and how necessary it is for our Congress to actually do the work that they were elected to do and if they don't move past this pretty quick, where the whole world is in trouble, it's not just the U.S. No, but we are a superpower. We, and, and we're the parent, right? It's almost like we're the parent and the parent right now is asleep at the wheel. Yes, they are. They're asleep at the wheel. Or if, if Ed Lyons is watching this, I should say it's like in chess, the queen's kind of almost dying off here. And if you leave, get rid of the queen, you're powerless in chess. Which, that's the only thing I know about chess. So. <laughs> But no, it is. It's very, and the worst part is, I don't think they expected this to happen, that every single Democrat would vote to oust Kevin McCarthy. And so, and there was no plan. So they literally just left the house completely paralyzed. Little did they know that anything can happen. So fast forward to three days later, and Hamas does that unexpected air, land, and sea strike. So and now we have over 1,200 dead Israelis. Children are being beheaded and butchered. And we have 22 Americans, since we've spoken, I believe it's still 22 Americans that are confirmed dead. And I think there are still 17 or more that have been unaccounted for. And here we are. And there's less than 40 days until government funding stops again. And and if for the next Speaker of the House, this is what I'm going to say. Do you really want this job? I know it's an amazing time in history and whoever, whoever it is, God bless them for, for taking it on. But I do want to point something out because just because we're talking about these eight, what's amazing to me is as a Republican who lives in a blue state, I have had to work with Democrats to get things done around here. And one of my big things is democracy. So a lot of times I work with Democrats in the name of democracy to make sure that we are, our elected officials are being held accountable and that there is transparency and been called a rhino because of it. And, and I think it's hysterical because I'm not, but I believe in what I believe in, which, oh, fault me for believing in democracy. But Matt Gates, <laughs> I know, I know, I'm such That's an evil, evil, terrible person. But Matt <laughs> Gates, who is a 
incredibly conservative Republican goes over and makes a deal with the Democrats to oust McCarthy. And that to me is just absolutely unbelievable. And it is it is such hypocrisy that someone like that is able to get away with it. And let's not talk about Matt Gates's own background and issues and how he should go to jail. Right. Uh, and that's not for the, the mess in Congress. Oh, and, and the thing is, it, this all stems from it was a personal issue with Kevin yes, McCarthy. It was it a vendetta. With politics. It was personal and it was petty. Yes. Each Republican that voted with the Democrats on this had absolutely nothing to do with the politics. It had everything to do with the personal. And as Mike Lawler has said, well, not just Mike Lawler, but a lot of Republicans have said there needs to be some sort of punishment towards the eight. And I think we're going to see it through. I mean, Nancy Mace was fundraising off of this. I saw that. It was Matt Gates. I mean, they were, were, you're fundraising off of this. You stopped Congress. You actually stopped Congress. And, And then you have the nerve to fundraise off of it. That is just, that is disgusting. It is. It's absolutely disgusting. And if she's hoping to become a future senator from South Carolina, well, good luck with that. Because I don't really see Nikki Haley getting on board with you, whether Lindsey Graham or Tim Scott, whoever decides not to run for their seat. Again, I don't see how she might be, you know, champing at the bit to do it. It's not going to happen because... She keeps saying, I don't have to answer to Washington, D.C. I answer to my constituents. Well, then you will. I cannot wait to hear what you have to say in the low country. Right. Well, because you stopped Congress, you stopped work, you stopped everything that you're there for. I don't see how there's an excuse. Again, it goes back to the squad. How can you be supporting Palestine when you see what happened? I mean, this is not... That is a whole other podcast That's for me. A whole other, whole other podcast. I just, it's like my my head wants to explode from, from all of this. And I really, I would never, ever, this is the only time I'll ever compliment Nancy Pelosi ever. But <laughs> the woman knows how to leave. This I mean, wouldn't have happened with her. I know. I keep saying the same thing. With her. Listen, she, we don't have to like her policy. We don't have to like her. But I respect her as a leader and she would have her her conference in order and say, listen, you all sit down and shut up if you want to get reelected, because otherwise I'll make it so that way you're not going to get reelected. And that's actually what political leaders have to do. And she had a slim majority before as well. And she had the squad and she ruled them. She ruled with an iron fist or as someone once said she keeps a Glock in her Chanel bag. And <laughs> take a chapter from her leadership playbook. I mean, obviously, as I said, I will never praise her for her politics, but I praise her as a leader, as speaker of the house, because my God, just to get to that level, and she's dealt with the boys club on so many levels. When I've, I've even had doors slammed in my face in the past and not one, I took it. And what if, like I said, if you need to cry, go in the bathroom and do it. Don't let a man, don't let anyone see weakness on your part and as i said she kept a tabs on the squad probably had many come to jesus chats with them and and i even remembered that aoc once accused her of because she called all four of them in and saying she's targeting the women of color or something and it's like 
I would not accuse Nancy Pelosi of racism. Oh, no. <laughs> Come no. on. That's the last person I would ever accuse. No. So stopping that. And unfortunately, as Republicans, it is very upsetting to see that they're they're behaving like this, right? Because the narrative from the Democrats is very easily under us, this didn't happen. And under the Republicans, see what happens. And I hate that. And that's really those eight, they're, the self-interest that they acted in is just so despicable that I hope they're, again, they're, they're not serious. Their constituency should hopefully not reelect them to office, but we could go on and on and on. And I think we have to have it. We have to do another podcast because it is, it is so fun to have you Nasa on with me. And I just, again, I, I commend you for everything that you tolerated with Santos and I commend you for all of your work and, and, and your, your grit and your, and most of all your integrity, because it's really an important quality to have in politics. So thank you. Thank you for being here with me on political Contessa today. Well, thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, that is Nasa Wumir. Nasa was the communications director for George Santos, that guy, for about five months in 2023. And, and she is a model. She should be a role model for what anyone going into politics or really in any job should actually be like. So thank you for being with me on Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor. I'm your Political Contessa. Stay happy, healthy, and safe. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Contessa.com.